0: Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au.
1: At the moment, we've just started a new series looking at the book of Daniel. Andrew kicked off the Book of Daniel for us last week. And I'm very excited to get to talk about chapter two today because this chapter packs a whole lot of punch. But let's just recap on what are the themes of the Book of Daniel. Well, the theme one is: God is sovereign over all of history. God is in in control, even when circumstances would suggest otherwise. And God calls us to live within with integrity in an enticing world. Now, to briefly set the scene for where we're up to, the Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem and conquered the Israelites in 597 BC. You can read that in the Bible. You can also read that in your history textbooks. This happened. Many Israelites are taken as captives back to Babylon in three different waves. Daniel and three of his friends form part of this deportation, and we assume that they're just teenagers when this first happens. And we learned last week how Daniel and his friends kept themselves pure even in the Babylonian palace, and as a result they received much honour and promotion as wise men and they become advisors to the king. But if we want to know what this was like for Daniel, we should know a little bit about Babylon itself. The ruins of Babylon can actually still be found to this day in modern day Iraq. At the height of its power, Babylon was the largest and wealthiest city in the entire world. The city had at least three palaces and many extravagant temples. They were a polytheistic culture, meaning they worshipped many gods. It's said that the Euphrates River that ran through the centre of Babylon was lined with palm trees and that the buildings were all covered with these enamelled tiles of gold, blue, white and yellow, making the city sparkle and shine in the sunlight. And in fact, most of the bricks that have subsequently been found in the ruins of Babylon carry an inscription that says, I am Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Because Babylon embodied everything that was modern, prosperous, glittering, worldly, and hyper-spiritual. And at its Zenith is the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the most famous king in Babylon, the greatest ruler in this entire portion of history. He brought Babylon to its zenith of affluence and power. And in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, he is lord over all the earth. He is the greatest king of the greatest kingdom that ever has been and ever will be. Andrew gave a great summary last week of all the passages in the other books of the Bible that predicted this domination by Babylon. But in Isaiah 47, a book which predates the book of Daniel and predates the conquering of Jerusalem, we read this prophecy regarding the fall of Babylon. And in verse 8, we are given the underlying ethos of the Babylonian psyche, what we would call the motto of Babylon. Verse 8 says, now then, listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am, and there is none beside me. And that's it. It's right here that we see the very heart of Babylon. Because I am is actually the name that God gives to himself. When he appears to Moses in the book of Exodus, when he says, I am who I am. Babylon has taken I am and applied it to herself. Babylon has made herself a god. Self worship is the true religion of Babylon. But you ask me, what does this ancient civilization have to do with us today? Well, it might surprise you, but Australia in 2023 is maybe not that different to 600 BC Babylon. Like the Babylonians, our culture likes to make a God of self. Our culture tells us that we should put self first, that we should seek self-enlightenment, self-promotion, self-identification. We have this culture that says, you do you and I'll do me, where each mini self-God exists in their own little island. And as long as your self-God isn't harming my self-God, I don't really care what you do or how you identify. You just do what you need to do to feel good about yourself. It's the opposite of God's picture of harmony and design because God's picture acts like family and feels like home and Jesus set the example of how we're called to love one another where each of us would daily die to self and give everything away but in the process receive everything in return there's a beautiful harmony that exists when the believers live this way when I can put aside my sense of self and give of myself to meet the needs of my brothers and sisters in Christ and the more I do this the more my needs are met by my brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, do you remember Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation? Way, way, way back in Genesis chapter 12, more than a millennium before this event, there's this man called Abram who's called by God to leave his homeland and his family in a town called Ur and set himself apart and start a new family and a nation that's going to live differently to the surrounding culture, live by a higher calling, live a life that's set apart from God. And as part of this calling, he's given a new name called Abraham, which denotes a new identity and a fresh start. Now, when you look at the map on the screen, Ur, the place that Abraham was called to leave is right in the heart of what will become Babylonia. Babylon is the exact culture that God called the Jewish people to be set apart from. Yet Daniel has been forcibly brought back to the place his forefather was called to leave behind. He's at risk of being dragged back into a culture long left behind. Now, can I make a segue here and ask, what drags you back? Because when we give our lives to Christ, we are each given a new identity, a fresh start, a clean slate. Like Abraham, we each get a new name, Christian. And with that, we get a new identity, a fresh start. But the forces of our culture, our addictions, our vices, and the enemy will still try to entice us, to make us feel like we're somehow missing out. They'll try to drag us back. And it's by daily time spent in the presence and word of God that we daily recommit to this new identity. So after a long build-up, we finally get to Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These four teenage boys who spent three years being indoctrinated into Babylonian ways, living in the palace, having access to ultimate privilege, yet they maintained an integrity in an enticing world. What would integrity look like in our enticing world? As part of this indoctrination, they're each given a new Babylonian name, and each new name references a Babylonian god. We know from Genesis that giving a new name confers a new identity, a new destiny. And this is exactly what the Babylonians try to do to Daniel and his friends. While Babylon did everything it could to indoctrinate the minds and steal the souls of these young men, God granted them knowledge and understanding. Against all odds, they retained a God-centered viewpoint of the world, and through them, the world was able to view God. Like Daniel, the world can call us what it wants, But it cannot change who we are. It cannot change who we are. But also, like Daniel, we need to stand firm in order to stand our ground because godliness is never accidental. Integrity is never coincidental because both stem from daily resolve and consistency. Like Daniel, can we resolve to stand firm in our God-given identity, no matter what names we would be given? And after a very long run-up, we're finally at t- up to Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Chapter 2, it says, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. The wise men asked the king to tell him what, what his dream was so that they could interpret it. But the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut to pieces and your house is turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. I would really, if it were me like, there to be a third option where I could do neither and just go away. But Nebuchadnezzar demands that as proof that they are genuinely wise, they both figure out what his dream was without any hints from him and interpret it. The wise men have all these textbooks about how to interpret dreams, but how can they use them if they don't even know what the dream was? No one can do what he asks. That's an impossible task. Verse 12 says, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. And by this point, Daniel and his friends are considered amongst the wise men, so they're also ordered to be executed. But Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel and his friends pray together for God's help. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Daniel goes to the king both to tell him what the dream was and to interpret it. He does what none of the other wise men can do with their intellect – and he gives the glory right back to God. So what was the dream? We're told that Nebuchadnezzar saw an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. We've got a picture of possibly what it looked like. We're told the head is made of pure gold, the chest and arms are made of silver, the belly and thighs are bronze, the legs are made of iron, and the feet are a mixture of iron and clay. Then verses 34 and 35 say, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Weird dream. Um, Now we know what the dream was, what about the interpretation? Well, Daniel describes how each metal in the statue represents a different world empire that would follow the Babylonians. The head of gold represents Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian empire in the 6th century BC. Now, are you ready to have your minds blown by God right now? You ready? Because when we read this passage, this biblical prophecy written approximately 2,500 years ago, history has already recorded the fulfillment of each prophecy. Every single thing that Daniel predicted in that prophecy has already happened and you can read it in your history books. If that doesn't point you to the unique sovereignty, omniscience, that's all-knowingness, and wonder of God, I don't know what will. Because in the 6th century, B.C., not A.D., B.C., Daniel identifies subsequent levels on the statue as subsequent empires that would predominate over the world from Nebuchadnezzar's reign right through to the coming of Jesus. And as we go down the levels of the statue, the materials decrease in value but increase in strength. And later in the book of Daniel, subsequent dreams and visions add more specific details to these empires that are to come. But in our 2023 standpoint, we can identify the empires that Daniel prophesied about. And we see Daniel's predictions are actually true. Can we pause for a moment and agree how profound that is? And marvel and wonder at God in response. So the next level down, the chest and arms of silver, represent the media Persian empire though Daniel didn't know it at the time of this prophecy we know that Babylon was overthrown by King Cyrus of Persia in 539 BC and just as the silver has two arms the media Persian Empire had two arms or two kingdoms media and Persia that unite together to overthrow Babylon following silver comes the belly and thighs of bronze which represents the Macedonian or Greek Empire who claimed dominion under Alexander the Great And the fourth empire, the strongest, the legs of iron, is symbolic of the Roman Empire. And just as there are two legs, the Roman Empire was actually divided into two branches, east and west. The historical accuracy of the book of Daniel blows my mind and it makes me marvel at God's genius. Daniel wrote these words in the 6th century BC, centuries before most of the empires that he predicted had even come into existence. And then we get the final level, the feet of iron mixed with clay, which is thought to represent the various kingdoms that rose after the Roman Empire. And just as the iron still permeates the feet, so our culture, even to this very day, is still hugely influenced by the impacts of the Roman Empire. Just look at our calendar, for example. Daniel describes the feet of a divided kingdom and he predicts that in this final age the people will be a mixture and will not remain united Any more than iron mixes with clay Sounds familiar And after we get through all these empires what happens next? A rock not cut by human hands strikes the statue at its feet and smashes them And the entire statue comes crashing down and is swept away leaving no trace But this heavenly rock becomes a huge mountain that fills the whole earth what is this rock that strikes in the roman empire it's the same rock that's predicted in psalm 118 the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone daniel says in verse 44 in the time of those kings that's the feet the god of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. More than 500 years before the birth of Jesus, Daniel predicts a coming king whose kingdom will sweep away all kingdoms that have come before. Striking in the midst of the Roman Empire comes this new king whose kingdom is as steadfast as a mountain. Luke 1.33 says, And he, that's Jesus, will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So what's the result? In response to Daniel's words, Nebuchadnezzar falls down before Daniel and honours him. Daniel's interpretation saves not only himself and his friends, but in fact all the wise men who were to be executed. And Nebuchadnezzar pays honour to the God of the Jews, though his later actions would suggest that there's some limitations on this honour. And it might be that in this polytheistic culture of many gods, Nebuchadnezzar simply adds the God of Daniel as one more deity. But what are our take-home points from Daniel chapter 2? First, God grants you spiritually appointed positions of favour. Use them for his purposes. Second, are you facing a task that feels impossible? Well, like Daniel, have people pray with you. Sleep on it, take time and wait for God's answer. Trust God, but don't forget to give him the honour when he comes through. Third, beware the feet of clay. Beware the chink in our armour that can bring the whole statue crashing down. What are your feet of clay? Be aware of your weaknesses, places the enemy can get a foothold in your life and actively submit those to Christ. And finally and most importantly, Jesus is the rock. Nebuchadnezzar put his hope in gold. What do you put your hope in? Put your hope in the mountain, the king whose reign will endure forever. Revelation eleven fifteen. 15 at the end of all days when the final trumpet sounds the voices in heaven will cry out the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever we're going to have a little pause now but maybe if we reflect on those points for a couple of minutes and then Andrew's going to come and take us forward and hey, we're
0: going to go forward now what we're going to do is we're going to just pull out a bit from Daniel 2 And um, Phoebe applied some good stuff to our life, our modern day culture right now, but um, I'm going to do a little bit like that as well. So have you ever felt like an outsider? Like, yeah, Mikey has, he's got his hand up. He would have felt like an outsider in high school, wouldn't have been the cool kid, I don't think. Anyway, we'll see. Maybe maybe, you, maybe, you're a bit on the out in high school. Maybe, um, has anyone been like a genuine plus one at a wedding where it was you were there because of your spouse, partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, and you just knew no one? Yes, absolutely. Don't you just love those weddings? Anyway, it's a free meal. <laughs> I... Um, I felt like an outsider for a number of years. I, I played uh, cricket for a club uh, in Melbourne. When we were living in Melbourne, played cricket for a club called Fiji Victorian Cricket Club. And I was the... <laughs> that wasn't a punchline, by the way. I, I was the only white guy... In the whole club, and so I got bullied for being white, and I was I was I was one of the only Christians. There are a few Christian boys, um, but I was the only Christian that was white, and I got a caning for it amongst the um, the Islamic. Pakistani boys, the Hindu Indian boys and the Buddhist uh, Nepali and Sri Lankan boys. Anyway and then there was me, white Christian Andrew and so I absolutely copped it. It was a bit of like historical reverse discrimination, just just rag on the white guy which is really cool. I felt like an outsider but I absolutely enjoyed it. I used to get teased um, because I'd refused to drink as much beer as they would because they had church in the morning after 80 overs in the field uh, on a hot day. But anyway, God loves moving outsiders onto the inside. That's how he rolls. He loves moving outsiders, Christians, onto the inside of wherever else. And that's where Daniel finds himself. That's where his pals find themselves, on the inside of the courts of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so we, we see that they've been exiled into Babylon, they're learning how to be Babylonians, and then, then, as Phoebe talked about, they just get into this situation where King Nebuchadnezzar tells them about his dream and says, okay, if you can't get this, I'm going to kill you. How about that? That's not what you sign up for. When you're serving that guy and he says, I'm going to kill you if you can't do your job. (laughs) That that doesn't pass the HR protocol, let me tell you. That was the original Russian roulette, I reckon. But anyway, Daniel holds a a unique place in the king's hierarchy. He, He has this positioning that Phoebe was talking about that's really privileged. He had faith and he had the favour of God upon him. And so when, when the, the dream is proclaimed by King Nebuchadnezzar, he goes away from the heat of the action. And his first move is this in Daniel 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 17 to 19. He says, He returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. That's probably a good thing to pray for, that you don't get executed. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So then he gets it. And then the next day, he goes to Ariok, the executioner, and says, hey, I reckon I got the answer. Like, how about the boldness of that guy? I'll tell you why he had that boldness. One, he was prayed up. He had gone off to be with God. He'd soaked up in his presence, and he knew that he was filled by faith. And number two, he had his team of friends behind him praying for him. That's a picture of what we do as a church. That's a picture of how God operates through Christians, is that when we step out into our place of work, into our social club, into wherever we are meant to be, wherever life has put us, wherever God has put us, that people are behind us, praying for us, supporting us, moving with us, stepping in the gap and helping us to step out in faith. It might seem risky what he did. You know, the odds were against him. The stakes were high, but he went out and foretold, 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 said the dream. (laughs) And he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. But it was actually quite calculated. He knew the Lord was with him and he knew that the favor was on him, knowing that the spiritual support was behind him. Paul in the New Testament writes this in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. He says, Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. He's talking about Gentiles becoming Christians and joining Jews in the movement of God here. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What this means is that when when a community of people, let's talk about a community of believers, of Christians, come together together. We stand on the shoulders of Jesus. Daniel knew that he was standing on the shoulders of God. We know that we're standing on the shoulders of Jesus because we are joining with other people in faith. Jesus is the cornerstone. If you think about a building, there's the cornerstone and then all bricks are laid around and above him. He's the supporter. He's the strong point and he holds everything together. Who grew up in the 90s watching TV in the 90s? Now, this is probably, when I think about it, this is the most 1990s thing I can think of. There was a cartoon of a blue guy with a green mullet and his name was Captain Planet. Who who watched Captain Planet? We've got a few years. All right, a green mullet. He's absolutely ripped. He's blue and... Uh, and it was one of my favorite TV shows growing up. And the premise of this was, there were five Planeteers and they went and saved the Earth and all of that and they had these powerful rings. And when they put their rings together, by their powers combined captain planet would come out and sort out the issue that they were dealing with it was usually like some big corporate fat cat just pumping radioactive stuff into a river and so it was a great lesson for me as a 6 year old to learn about how captain planet can save the day along with the planeteers but when the planeteers got together and they put their fight I don't I can't believe I'm preaching about this but anyway when the planeteers got together <laughs> I've never got so many Amens. They put their, the power of their rings together, and their powers were combined. That principle, I reckon, is taken from biblical Christian living, whereby when Christians, empowered by the Holy Spirit, come together and we pray and we worship and we do life together and we seek to help one another, that's when the Holy Spirit moves. That's when God moves. God will move through people, through when people are facing God, when people are toe-to-toe, bricks against bricks, that's when the Spirit of God will move powerfully. And that's what we see in Daniel 2. That's what we see when people will work together. Philippians 3.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. The power of God is in you if you accept Jesus into your life. And so when we're all together, powerful things happen. Did you know that we have a church prayer team? And there is about three dozen people in that. So that's probably about 10% of our church say, yep, I'm going to be on the prayer team. So this week, I had a prayer need, right? I needed to get a visa to travel overseas to do some mission work. And so the odds were against me. I'm a pastor, I'm going to a a non-Christian country and they just reject Christians. And so we know a number of people have been rejected in the last couple of months because they're Christian. And so I clicked submit, told the prayer team, We need prayer for this because I want to go to this country. And so I was told by this government that it would take 72 hours. 16 hours later, I get an email saying approved. And then I tell the prayer team, hey, guys, your prayers have joined together in force. They've been answered, I'm going to this country. And so that's just the lift that I got this week. I can give you many different details about um, other things that happen uh, in the course of our church, in the course of God moving through the prayers of powerful people, of, of obedient people, working for the good of those who love him. And so what, what I love about the passage in Daniel that we read, is that it's not the fact that he got the dream right. It's not the fact that he was the, the good guy won. It's not the fact that he got a promotion for doing a good job. It's not the fact that he, he scaled the odds of adversity and got over it. But it's the fact that he knew that he was supported behind him through prayer with his mates, going forward in the knowledge and the power of that. And so even though Daniel and his mates weren't in their homeland, they were exiled from everything they knew, they still had community. They still had support. And even though they were in an environment where they were outsiders on the inside, they actually were um, not changed by the environment, but they were changed because of who they are and for what they stood for. And so we believe that this is a really powerful way that we as a, as a Christian community can live, that when we're going out into our workplace, when we're going into our families, when we're going into our sporting club, when we're going into our university, our high school, our primary school even, that when we know that people are praying for us, when we know that people are giving issues up to God, that they're casting fears and anxieties onto God, that He will care for us, you, you go into that situation feeling more empowered, knowing that there is a a family of believers behind you praying and standing in the gap, going, you know what, we're going to stand and help you through these situations. That is incredibly empowering. And so God loves moving through his people. God loves seeing his people support one another. God loves seeing other people get together, helping one another out, building each other in faith raising believers and being more effective in what we're called to do. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au